Dr. Lisa Belial, and today I have with me in the studio Chris Strong. Chris has been many things, um, an attorney, a mother, an owner of a gym, and she's now getting ready to um, be a real estate appraiser. She's also a friend of mine from the wonderful town of Yarmouth, and I'm glad to have her here joining me today on Radio Maine. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Yeah. So you and I were just talking about our kind of um, the weavings in and out of being high school students in the wonderful state of Maine over the years and how much has changed. So much has changed. Yeah. I grew up in the town of Thomaston and I went to George's Valley High School. Small school. I think I had 60 kids in my class, 300 and, you know, the entire school and um, over time, I mean, the, the many towns in Maine have, I think, you know, decided to consolidate. And I'm not sure when George, uh, George's Valley and Rockland High School consolidated, but it's now Oceanside High School. So George's Valley no longer exists. And that's a weird thing to be, it's, to contemplate, I think. It is a weird thing. I mean, George's Valley, you know, it's a small town too. Thomaston's, when I grew up there, it was 3,000 people. Um, everyone knew everyone. In the high school, everyone knew everyone. Um, it was a great place to grow up, but you know, you're part of that, you know, I was part of the sports teams there, you know, it's part of your identity. So it it was a little strange when, um, it was, you know, usurped, um, into, you know, the, the bigger school of Oceanside, but it's, there's still, there's Facebook pages, you know, we still have connections with people there and, um, yeah, a lot of great memories. It seems like um, sports in particular yes. is really a mainstay for a lot of Maine kids and particularly in the smaller communities. And it really does, I think, as you've alluded to, contribute to identity and yes. also town pride, I think. For sure. Yeah. Uh, sports are a big part of my family. I mean, my dad coached boys basketball at George's Valley for years. And that's where I got into sports. I was a gym rat um, and my brothers also. And um, it's, it has definitely been a part of, you know, my life. It's, it's evolved and been a part of my children's lives. I do think, you know, if, if people are familiar with Yarmouth, I mean, sports and and soccer and lacrosse, I mean, very successful programs um, and a lot of, you know, town pride around that. Um, and I just think it's great for kids to participate in sports. You know, it's, it's great for confidence building and teaching them how to relate to people and get along with others and, you know, learn how to deal with success and failure. Well, as you're talking about this, I'm thinking about um, some of the work that I've done in my other job, and I'm work. I work in a leadership field, right. and when I talk to fellow leaders, and this is in healthcare, um, several of them mentioned the fact that they became interested in leadership through their time playing sports, right. even from their very earliest um, ages. Right, for sure. It's funny when I. Um I went, I graduated from George's Valley, went to UMaine and played basketball there. And that was a tremendous experience and a lot of growth there. Went to law school. And when I was hired at the law firm that I worked for out of law school, one of the reasons they, um, I did intern there for the summer, but one of the reasons they wanted me to join the team was because I was a college athlete. And I think, you know, they know there's discipline in that. You got to learn how to motivate yourself. You have to be a team player. Um, And they like that. And that is something that I think that in 
kind of where we are in the world where everybody has the opportunity to be an individual and go to their own private space and have everything kind of moderated in a way that they like. When you're on a team, you, you actually have to interact with other people and you right. have to do it in a way that yield some sort of outcome, hopefully right. success, maybe not. Exactly. And I, I did have the opportunity, which was so fantastic to coach girls basketball at Yarmouth for five years. And, um, I, my, one of my daughters was on the team at the time for four of those years and, you know, taking that job, I mean, I, I obviously have a tremendous love for the game. Um, I was looking forward to sharing that love and the X and O's and, and all of that. But what I realized was it was more about teaching the girls about, um, you know, how to get along with each other and, and also about having confidence, you know, not being fearful of making a mistake and learning how to, um, to kind of roll with the punches out there. And so really it was more about kind of building their, you know, their resiliency, I guess, um, versus teaching them how to make a layup. Do you think that girls and women have more of an issue with confidence than others? I do. I think, you know, there's an early story that I actually don't tell very much, but um, I say that I tell the story or I think about this in terms of, you know, kind of where my confidence came from and, and, I definitely had, you know, my parents were instrumental in, you know, helping me become the person I am, obviously. And um, I was, I grew up playing sports or grew up playing um, community soccer. And at that age, you're playing with, you know, in the, the youth program, you're playing with boys, right? The girls and the boys playing together. And I, I continued to, do, to play soccer um, with another girl in junior high. And we were the only girls on the team. And when I got to high school as a freshman, I wanted to play soccer still. And there was no girls team. Um, and again, that's the small town, small, you know, school. And um, it just, they had field hockey and cross country in the fall. And I wanted to, to go out for the team. And there was some concern. You know, the coach there had been there for a long time. He is an, an icon um, in the soccer world in Maine and definitely in Thomaston. Um, and he was worried about me getting hurt. And I was just like, give me a chance, you know, let me, let me make this choice, but give me the opportunity. And, and I did end up playing for four years and I had the, uh, you know, the opportunity to play with my brother, who's a year younger than me also on the team. We won a state championship um, his freshman year when he scored the winning goal and I was a sophomore and it was just, you know, that type of experience. Well, it was hard because I couldn't go into the locker room with the boys, um, the opposing team, didn't like me oftentimes, you know, I'd get heckled. The parents on the other team didn't, you know, weren't in favor many times, but the boys that I played with and that coach that supported me were tremendous. And I, that's a big part of, you know, I think building my confidence. I felt like, you know, given the opportunity and the desire, you know, I'm going to do it. And it was fantastic. Well, I love that you didn't just accept that somebody said no. Right that you decided, well, this is important to me and I, I'm going to keep moving forward with this. And right. how can we make this happen? Exactly. And that's what, like, I, you know, I go back to my family and I think that's why, you know, the support you have around you as a kid is so important, whether it comes from another relative or a coach or a teacher. Um, if you were given the opportunity and the support, you know, they, they were like, yeah, if you want to do this, go for it. You know, if it's really what you want. And um, that's, 
It was a great experience. Well, my sister is an orthopedic surgeon with the VA, and she similarly was a high school athlete. And actually, many of my siblings were, but I'm thinking of this particular one. Right. And she went to the Air Force Academy. There weren't that many women. Right. She worked her way up through. She became an orthopedic surgeon. There weren't that many women. And and I really think that I see in her this, this sort of sense like, no, I'm, I'm not going to let other people tell me that this is what I should or shouldn't do. But she also had to have a, a really, um, she had to have a lot of inner strength, yes. I think, in order to just keep going. Because it is easy to listen to other people right. tell you what they believe your path should be rather than follow the path you think you should follow. Right. No, definitely. I do agree with that. I think there's something, there must be something internal that, you know, it, it, it makes you who you are and it kind of influences you in those kind of those pivotal decisions that you make for yourself. I think probably one thing that was a part of actually has probably been a big part of my love for activity and sports and fitness is as a young child, I broke my leg, my lower leg had a compound fracture and an old oak tree it was the middle of the summer, um, beautiful day, beautiful, you know, blue sky. And it happened to be a dead oak tree that cracked and fell on my leg. And I was going in, I mean, the, the story is really kind of crazy. And um, I'm fortunate to be here at all. But I was going into the home, um, open, opening the door, and the tree hit my shoulder first. So it was that close to my head. And then the way I was standing, it came down and hit my lower right leg. And I suffered a compound fracture. And when my mom got to the hospital to meet the doctors there, and I heard this story later, obviously, but they told her that they thought they could save my leg. And so when you have a traumatic experience like that, it's it's going to change you, you know, it's going to affect you. And I think I was going to do things because I could, you know, I could run, I could jump, I could play sports. And then when you develop a love for it, you know, you want to share it with people. And I've just been blessed to be able to do that. It's, it's why I love what I do. You know, it's, I can share that and I see other people, like it's contagious. There's just, I have this now, this image in my mind about like sort of Chris against the tree, Chris against <laughs> the, the old oak tree that right. nobody can get Chris down. It's, it's wild. It is, it's a really wild story. And I don't remember, it, it turns out all the oak trees on this property were dead, you know, it was a disease. Um, but the fact that it just kind of cracked in half, um, yeah, it's a pretty wild story. Well, I'm glad you're still here. Yeah, thank you. Me too. That's, that's good. Yeah. So, I got a cool a cool scar from my, oh, on my lower leg from it too, but yeah. we, we won't show that. Okay. <laughs> that'll, that'll be a different podcast. <laughs> different program. Yes, exactly. Part two, maybe. Part two. <laughs> yes. So tell me how you decided. I know you were at the University of Maine. You were a college yes. athlete. You were an English major. Right. And then you went to law school. Right. So kind of uh, share the story of how that transpired. I always wanted to be a lawyer. So I knew I wanted to play Division One basketball. And then I knew I wanted to be a lawyer. And then once I lawyered for a while, I decided I didn't want to be a lawyer. I loved law school. I loved the education. I'm kind of equal parts geek and jock, I think. And when people now find out that I practice law. They're like, what? <laughs> you know, is that true? Um, but I do like, I have this desire and I think this has helped me in my training 
you know, business also is I love to dig for answers. And one of my friends describes me of a dog you know, in a loving way as a dog digging for a bone. Like I'm just going to keep finding, you know, trying to dig for the answer. And I think that's what appealed to me with regard to the law. I, I wanted to help people and make change and find answers. Um, and then, you know, life circumstances happen. I had my third child and I, um, I took a year off. So I was, I was in a, a small firm and then I went in-house counsel and in-house counsel was more conducive to having a family. You know, I could, my hours, I didn't have billable hours. So my weekends were at home and, um, I took a year off, had my third child. And during that year I would go to a gym much like the Y, the YMCA where they have a childcare and I would drop my kids there for an hour, go work out. And one of the other moms came up to me, she's like, can I work out with you? You know, can I just follow you around? And, I thought, you know, as a light bulb moment, you know, maybe I can share, you know, my love, my passion here and, you know, make a, a career out of it. And so that's how Strong Bodies was born. And this was the first gym in Yarmouth. That was in Maryland, actually. That's where I got certified down there and then came to Falmouth, moved up to, excuse me, moved up to Falmouth and had my gym in the garage of my home at the time. So I was the, you know, I was taking care of the three kids and, um, and started strong bodies in my garage. Then I, I had a few other temporary spaces. And then in 2010, I moved to Sparhawk Mill and that's where I saw your name on the placard there. Yeah. You had your space for a while. That's yeah. right. Practicing acupuncture in the Sparhawk right. Mill right. by the Royal River. Great spot. Yeah. Beautiful building. Absolutely. Yeah. It was very well, for me, it was very healing for the patients that I was taking care of and yeah. for the people that I worked with in the office. Right. But also a great place to have a gym. Oh, yeah. People loved it. It's a beautiful space and the building's just so historical. Yeah. So that's how I came to uh, to training from the law. It, it is interesting that you, you describe kind of this intellectual and also physical. And, I mean, there's something very... I don't know, Olympian about the whole idea, mm. sort of the, the Greek gods. <laughs> Grandiose. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that we often tend to think of ourselves as going in one direction or another, sure. but um, more and more lately people recognize, well, you actually can be more than one thing and you probably right. will be more than one thing over the course of your lifetime. Right. So getting siloed into early yes. maybe sends us down a path that's just not, it's not realistic. I agree. I think COVID too, you know, I had to make some shifts when COVID um, came around because my business was based on the business model was get as many people into the space as possible and work out together. I did do some personal training, but it was really more about the classes. So when that model went away, I really, you know, to overuse the word again, it's, you know, to pivot. And so I went online and had some classes online. I'm not a video person. I don't like selfies. You know, I don't, I don't want to be in front of the camera like this, although I'm enjoying our time, Lisa, very much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Um, but it was something I had to do and, um, it was, it was a great learning experience. I mean, I really, it made me appreciate my community even more. People were very supportive. They did show up on Zoom for the classes. Um, but I have found, you know, even with my kids at this point, like they're doing things differently now. They're not 
following the traditional path necessarily. You finish high school, you're going to college. I mean, they're making changes and decisions, you know, differently. And I'm so happy about that. I think it's important. I think it's going to, it's more reflective of them. It's more individual, personal. And for me also, you know, I turned 50 during COVID. And so that year I was like, you know, this is my 50 and shifty. If I was going to make a t-shirt, I'd be 50 and shifty. I'm going to change things up. I mean, I love training and I don't want to leave it, but that's where I decided, you know, real estate appraisal. I wanted, it can use my mind. I can draw on my legal education and um, mix things up. So what I'm enjoying about this conversation is, you know, oftentimes we bring artists in and we talk to people who have a connection to the art world. But really, I love this overarching theme that creativity exists in many spaces. Yes. So you can be creative when it comes to business. You can be creative when it comes to your educational approach. Yes. You can be creative when it comes to your life. And so you're really um, kind of looking at, oh, well, here's a situation. How do I navigate the situation creatively? Right. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, I think in my business, I remember going to a, a training because we have to do continuing ed for personal training also. And I was listening to a speaker talk about putting a class together uh, format. And there is a lot of creativity that goes into creating a circuit because you don't want to do all squats and, or all push-ups. You know, you want to make sure you're getting some pushing, some pulling. You're, you're using your muscles and you're using the opposing muscles, you know? So it's, it is, it is, a, and he described it as an art, you know, it's an art to put these programs together. But I do think, yeah, in life and, and everything we do really, it's, can we be flexible? I mean, we know, you know, change is going to happen. It, it's inevitable. Um, so as a parent too, I've just tried to embrace that with my kids and, and share that message with them and support them and let them know, hey, listen, if you're not happy doing this, you can change. It's not the end of the world. You know what I mean? And, and it's, it's okay to do things differently, you know, if it feels good for you. Where are your kids now? I have three children. Um, my oldest is in Australia and she's playing soccer down there. Um, and my son is at SMCC and the trades program there. And my youngest is at CU Boulder and she's playing lacrosse. So this is a different phase of your life as well. Yes. It's part of my 50 and shifty, yeah. actually. Yes. So yeah, it's, um, it is, it is, it's funny because there are, you know, evenings of the time where you realize how different your life is when the kids aren't there. Uh, cause I don't have sporting events to go to and meetings and theater productions or music, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, so I fortunately have a tremendous group of friends and, um, my activities with the appraisal and the, you know, fitness stuff is, it keeps me busy. Um, but I, yeah, it's a strange time. I, I hope to go to Australia and visit my daughter down there. That's, I'd love to do that. I always use my children as an excuse to travel. <laughs> so so I, I'm with you in that solidarity. Yeah, that, yeah. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Do a little traveling, see them. Yeah. Why real estate appraisal? Great question. Um, my brother has owned a real estate appraisal business for years over 20 years. I, the idea was that I would be trained by him as an appraiser and a, a trainee, you know, you need, I think a thousand hours, um, and you need a supervisor. And so 
the idea was that I would be supervised by him, but he subsequently kind of in the, you know, I, I passed my initial exams and then I was starting to get ready to train with him and he sold the business to a national company. Yay. So it was tremendous for him, but it was unfortunate for me because he can't be my supervisor anymore, but I do have a fantastic um, woman who's, who's helping me along. So, um, yeah, I, I just wanted to use my brain differently. I don't know that much about real estate appraisal. Yeah. So it sounds like there's some sort of a, a licensing certification process that you go through in addition to some education. Yes. So tell me about that. Yes, there are. So there are requirements to just become a trainee. You have to take some like four exams. Um, it's like a, maybe a, a semester of college class, but, you know, condensed. Um, and then you have to have a supervisor and you have to, I think it's a thousand hours, but you have, you have to do it, you know, you can't do it less than six months. So you're doing it at least for six months being supervised by someone else. Um, and then you take a licensing exam through the state and they have to review three of your appraisal, you know, your reports and make sure they're all tip top. So it's I think the appraisal um, industry, from my understanding, and this is talking to my brother, that it is, it's a business that's hard to get into because you need an appraiser who's equally busy to supervise you and they have to go over the report. They have to sign the report. So to have, you know, someone take time out of their own career to supervise someone else is a big ask. Um, but that's, you know, that's, that's what I'm doing now. And it's, it's working out. It's, it's a, it's a steep learning curve for sure, but I've been here before, you know, the legal stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It does seem like you, you don't just pivot. You, you actually move to a completely different set of train tracks. Right. It is definitely. So, I mean, I, I can definitely, there are some, I have to review deeds and, you know, so there are some things that connect to the law and the research part that I love is an aspect also. Um, but yeah, it's been a, there's a form and there's a lot of information you have to gather and put in that form. So it's been a, a lot to learn. So as you're doing these things that are more intellectual, how mm. are you continuing that physical aspect of things that's really important to you? Right. I, I did want to make sure that I didn't leave fitness altogether. It, it wouldn't make me happy to leave that. You know, I really, I need people. I realized that it's, it's why I didn't stay in the firm ultimately because I was, just researching all the time, typing on my computer. I needed people, which is why going in-house counsel was more appealing. You know, there were, you know, corporate world has a lot of meetings, <laughs> probably too many meetings, but I was dealing more with people. So I knew when I went, <clears throat> excuse me, into the appraisal, it is, it can be isolating because you are on your computer a lot. Um, but the fitness stuff, I'm, I'm working at a place called Limber now doing classes. It's a new gym in Falmouth. So for anyone who's looking for a class, um, that space has been opened up by Casey Erickson. She's a chiropractor and she's brought in um, a number of practitioners. There's some massage therapists, physical therapists, a doctor, uh, um, trying to think, they're a yoga instructor. So a number of different, um, you know, fitness aspects and wellness aspects that are coming into this business excuse me, called Limber, and it's on Route 1 in Falmouth. And so that's where I'm spending my mornings twice a week, connecting with the people. And a lot of my clients that I've had for years, that strong bodies, are participating, which is great. Was it hard to give up 
your own business because you had worked so hard mm. to do this and it had your name on it and you had developed a yeah. group of people that you worked with. Right. And then I know it was must have been pretty significantly impacted by COVID. Right. But despite all that, was it hard to kind of kind of finally say, no, this isn't working for me anymore? Yeah. You know, I think when I made the decision, it was, it was fairly, you know, I was fairly certain about it. So that part was, was fine. You know, it kind of dissolved and there was a transition. I was able to hand over uh, the gym space and some clientele to another trainer, which was great because it was some consistency for people. And this trainer was starting out um, and wanted her own space. So that was great. That made me feel good. But I suddenly had a lot less interaction with people and, you know, I wasn't in the gym space doing, you know, the exercise and the training with people and that there was definitely a void for sure. There was, I, my identity was certainly tied up in strong bodies. Um, and I had to, I did have to go through a, a bit of a grieving process with that. I was very fortunate to hook up with a high school friend, Mark Holmes. He opened up a gym um, called Health Coaches in Portland. So I'm doing a little bit of personal training there and kept some clients I've had for 10 years or, or more. And um, and then I'm doing classes with Casey um, at Limber. And in both cases, they've allowed me to keep the name, which is really nice. I mean, it's... It, I just think it's a really nice gesture on their, their part. It's a way to stay connected with that community that I built. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that. I think this idea that this idea of identity is something that's interesting to me because you're describing the identity being associated with the business that you built. Right. There's also the identity of being the coach and the mentor and the teacher and, and, and how that, is, is morphed into the next aspect of your life, how you bring that along. And it, I don't, I don't know enough mm. about appraising to say whether that's actually an element of it or not. Are you asking about the relationships that are built or the, well, I think it's more like who you consider yourself to be. Right. That is, that's a tough question, Lisa. I'd have to think on that I mean, one you're a little a, bit You're more. an attorney, so I, I know, or at least right? trained as one. Okay. Yes. I think, um, you know, this is, I, I'm not unique in this. I mean, I think we all get to a point where something changes in our lives and we're, we're stuck with ourselves. You know, we got to kind of look at like, okay, who am I and what do I want? And I know bottom line that relationships are important to me. You know, I, I need my solo time, but it may not be in the gym setting. Ultimately, it may not be, you know, I think I rely on my family kind of to anchor me. And I want to be that for my kids too. You know, I want to, to make sure that, you know, they know I'm here. But I think just being open to what comes, you know, ultimately that I think is where I am. I'm going to be open to whatever comes my way and so embrace it. It's interesting. I mean, I love this response because what you're saying is my identity is not as the owner of a business, the owner of a gym, um, a, a coach, an instructor, a mentor. My identity is in its connection to other people, whatever that looks like. Yes. So not getting locked into having to be in a particular profession or right. playing a particular role. It's just knowing what you yourself 
um, feel passionate about. Exactly. And it's, my identity doesn't have to have a label. I don't think, you know, it's, if it's connection with people, you know, I'm going to have, I mean, I have one of my very good friends is 20 years older than me. And then I have a very good friend who's 20 years younger than me. So, you know, that's part of who I am. You know, I have a lot of relationships with a lot of different people. After this, I'm going to go have a client with an 84 year old coffee, rather with an 84 year old client of mine who I'm not training right now. So it's, you know, that, that's who I am. That's my identity. I think it's just the connection, the people I have relationships with. And that's super fulfilling. And that's a much easier thing to bring along with you <laughs> as time goes on. Yes. Yes. Cause it can change and you know, it's, and it's less, um, I think if I were just to identify with strong bodies, you know, I'd be a pretty sad person right now because it's not, you know, it's not a, as big a part of my life as it was. And yet that's what a lot of people do. Yes. People identify with the person they've trained to be, the education they have, the degree they have, right. the business they build. And I think it's incredibly difficult for people to, to give that up. Yeah, I agree. And I'm not sure what the answer to that is, but I think it's just self, you know, it's work that people need to do on themselves. I agree. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard being human. It is hard being human. It's hard being human, but you know, wow, it's so fantastic too. I love it. Yes. I, yeah, learned, I, love the I learn a lot about humans every day. I bet you do. Including myself. Yes. yes. I bet. So when you think about your own children, is there anything that you hope that they would kind of bring forward from the time you've spent with them and any sort of life lessons that you hope that they've moved into their own adult lives with? Yeah, they've all had challenges and, um, you know, I, I kind of, I like to embrace the challenges. So I, I like to help them embrace it. There's lessons to be learned in the hard times and there are a lot of good times. I think, you know, if you look at Facebook and Instagram, it looks like it's all good times, you know, there are no hard times there, but there are, there are hard times and challenges. And I think ultimately, you know, and this is kind of overused also, but just teaching them self-worth, like to love themselves first, you know, is, it's going to, it's going to dissolve a lot of other issues, you know, other things just won't matter as much and there'll be maybe a little less angst and a little less pain, um, along the way, if they can just love who they are, you know, and embrace things, embrace the hard times, be like, okay, there's something to be learned in this. And, um, I'm going to be better for going through this. Um, yeah, that's, that's what I hope for them. It's a good hope. Yeah. Thank you. I'm going to dramatically change, um, scenes here. And I want you to tell me the story about, uh, Christina's world. Oh, yes. And I'll tell you why I want you to tell this, okay. this story, because having myself not that much background in art, this was one of the early things that I learned about was Christina's World and the print that somebody once showed me when I was a youngster at Yarmouth High School living on the coast, not that far away from the Wyeths. Okay. And it was one of my very early touch points to art. Okay. So when I saw that you had this story, I thought, I would like to hear this. Yes, 
it also is my early touch point to art. And it was the singular print we had in our house growing up. And it was in a very prominent position in the living room. And it was always there. I mean, I can't remember a time where it wasn't there um, until my parents moved from there. But it was um, my mom always loved that print. And so they picked it up at a, uh, a store in Rockland. Um, and the Wyas were, well, they summered in, in um, Cushing. And my mom's grandfather had a place not far from from Christina Olson's home. So my mom would, you know, frequently pass by there. And so it had some, you know, significance to her and obviously having the Wyeths, you know, the town next door was very cool. Um, but there is a funny family story um, connection to the Wyeths. And again, there was no real personal, you know, relationship or ongoing experience with them. But my aunt and her friend, her girlfriend, they had a double date set up with Nathaniel Wyeth, Nikki, so it's Andrew Wyeth's son, one of his kids. He's had five kids. And um, so she was going on a double date with her friend, with Nikki and his friend. And apparently the boys stood the girls up. They did not show up. So um, Nikki came by my grandmother's house to apologize to my aunt for that. And I guess he ended up staying for two hours and talking to her and they were just, you know, kind of having conversation in the kitchen. And my mom, who was younger at the time, she must've been junior high or high school, was in the, uh, the bathroom next to the kitchen with curlers in her hair for two hours because she did not want to leave the bathroom and be humiliated with her, the curlers in her hair. So that is, that's the Nikki Wyeth story that we had. And I guess, you know, there, there was no uh, animosity. It just the conversation ended after two hours. And um, yeah, they never dated again. <laughs> but my mom was could not leave the bathroom because she was so embarrassed. So her hair either looked really good or... <laughs> or really bad. Really bad. Yeah, for two hours she With sat curlers. in there though. Yeah. 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 And your life could have been completely different. Oh my goodness. If that double date had maybe <laughs> taken place. Even thought about that. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do love the fact that you and I are basically just at heart two girls from Maine, growing yes. up on the coast, experiencing art in a really um, specific and different way than maybe others do through yeah. these these prints on our on the wall. Right. And uh, you know, yeah. I think your life in from from what I'm hearing, actually, you and I share a lot of similarities over time. Yeah. And I appreciate having had the chance to. Uh, to learn more about you. Well, thank you so much. I mean, I've I've known about you and run into you so many times, but never had the chance to really sit down and talk to you. So I appreciate this opportunity. Today thank was you. the day. It was. Thank you. Thank you. You bet. Today on Radio Maine, I have been speaking with Chris Strong, another woman from Maine who um, I've shared a lot of uh, commonalities and experiences with over the years. And if you're in Maine, I hope that you actually look her up when she becomes a real estate appraiser officially or if you think you need some limbering, you can certainly find her for some personal training and some fitness. But we are fortunate to have Chris Strong as one of the wonderful women living here in Maine with us. I'm Dr. Lisa Belial, and this is Radio Maine. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.